Wilma Rudolph contracted polio when she was a child. For the first several years of her life, she had to walk with leg braces. As a result of therapy and hard work, after a while, she no longer had to use the braces. In fact, when she was 12 years old, she went out for the girls' basketball team. She didn't make the team, but she continued to work. The next year, she went out again and did make the team. While she was playing basketball on the girls' basketball team, there was a college track coach who saw her and suggested that she go out for track which she did. By the age of 14, she had outrun the fastest sprinters in the United States. In 1956, she was on the U.S. Olympics team. She did not do well that time, but she was on the U.S. Olympic team again in 1960 in Rome. And there she won three gold medals, the most a woman had ever won. There were times, I'm sure, when she wanted to quit, but she did not. My question for you today is, is there something in your life and you are at a time when you want to quit? Maybe it's concerning your marriage, perhaps your job, perhaps a position in the church, in the choir, in the Sunday school or something, And you have come to that time when you want to quit. Throw in the towel. You had enough. You don't want to continue on. Well, if that's your position, you're in good company. Moses came to the position where he wanted to quit. You recall there at the burning bush, God called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egyptian bondage. But as he was trying to lead the people from bondage to the promised land, they complained constantly to the point that Moses was about to have a nervous breakdown. And so the Bible says in Numbers 11, If thou art going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once if I have found favor in thy sight. Moses had come to the place in his life because of the constant complaining and the difficulty of the task that he says, God, I am ready to die. I want to quit. Elijah came to that same conclusion concerning his life. He had had that wonderful victory on Mount Carmel where he called down fire from heaven. Immediately after that, Jezebel threatened his life. And the Bible says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. Elijah had come to the place where he was ready to end it all. He wanted to die because life was simply too difficult for him. He wanted to quit. I suppose the most expressive in this desire has to be Jeremiah. Now, you recall last week, We looked at Jeremiah's call. God had called him to be a prophet. Well, today we look at a passage of Scripture in which Jeremiah has come to the place he wanted to quit. Peake wrote about our text, one of the most powerful and impressive passages in the whole of the prophetic literature, a passage which takes us as no other not only into the depths of the prophet's soul, but into the secrets of the prophetic consciousness. 
So our text today is going to be that time in Jeremiah's life when he wanted to quit. He had had enough. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 20, beginning in verse number 7. O Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. For I've heard the whispering of many, terror on every side. Denounce him, yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. Yet, O Lord of hosts, Thou who dost test the righteous, who seest the mind and the heart, let me see Thy vengeance on them. For to Thee I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for He has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A baby boy has been born to you and made him very happy. But let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting, and let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon. Because he did not kill me before birth, so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever pregnant." Why did I ever come forth from the womb? To look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame. Commitment does not come without conflict. In fact, we make a commitment at the marriage altar, but that does not mean there will not be conflict in the relationship. In fact, I believe that in marriage, several times does one have to make a renewed commitment. You come to the place to say, I'm not sure that I want to continue with this. And so there is a renewal of the commitment. But there's conflict in commitment. In fact, the Apostle Paul speaks of the conflict he had concerning God's call on his life. In Romans 7, 18 and 19, he said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. So Paul here is struggling with the conflict he had in his commitment to God. God, those things I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, I do. So there is this conflict that is going on. Why is it we have conflict concerning our commitment to God? Well, sometimes it's the results of our doubts about God, to be very candid. And that was so with Jeremiah. You'll see in verse number 7, O Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and, and I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. You see, here's what I think happened with Jeremiah. When God called him, because his call was so dramatic, he thought he was going to be successful. He thought that he was going to be accepted. 
In fact, if you listen to his call in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, that's a strong call, is it not? God is speaking to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I have known you, I have called you, I have appointed you, I have consecrated you. Therefore, Jeremiah assumed that meant that he was going to be accepted, that his message was going to be accepted by the people. And so what he is doing in this passage of Scripture is expressing his disappointment. In fact, 20 years has passed since his call. So from the Lord's call in chapter 1... To our text today, 20 years have passed, and so he is getting a little tired of it all. He said, Lord, you have deceived me. You deceived me. Well, the truth is God had not deceived him because God did not say that he was going to be accepted nor that he would be successful. That's what he assumed. He said, you have deceived me. You have overcome me. One commentator wrote, having reached a dead end, he went back to the call and cried out in effect, Lord, you got me into this. You took advantage of my naive simplicity. You seduced me, forced me, overpowered me. So you see what's happening with Jeremiah? Jeremiah is having doubts about God. God, you called me, but things are not working out. God, you deceived me. God, you overcame me. You overpowered me, and I yielded to you. And now this is the way it's turning out. So he's having some doubts about God. The disciples had doubts about the Lord also. You know the story well where Simon Peter was in the boat. Jesus was walking on the water. And Simon Peter said, Lord, if it's you, then bid me to come to you. He got out of the boat. He began walking on water. And then, you know, he took his eyes off. Jesus began to sink. And the Bible says in Matthew 14, 31, And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Simon Peter was doubting the Lord. The disciples doubted at times the resurrection because they didn't fully understand it. They weren't sure about the resurrection. And so Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Folks, I know that when you are a sold-out Christian, you're never supposed to have any doubts. The truth is, we do. Sometimes we have doubts about the Lord. We pray, but it doesn't seem like He answers our prayers. We ask the Lord for healing, and, and we continue on in our sickness. Our marriage is falling apart. And we go before the Lord with that, and things don't seem to be getting better. Our children are behaving badly, and we've prayed about them, and things are just not working out. And when those things happen, we begin to doubt the Lord. People don't appreciate our commitment. It seems that the Lord sometimes does not appreciate adequately the commitment that I have made to Him. And so we have doubts about God. That's one of the reasons that we have conflicts, ladies and gentlemen, because times we begin to doubt the Lord. And then, in turn, we are rejected by those to whom we seek to minister. That was Jeremiah, verse number 7c. He said, I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. He said, God, I had yielded myself to your call, and now the people treat me as a joke. He said, it's continual all day long. All day long they are laughing at me. Some people never give you a break, right? 
I heard about a southern or a football coach down in a southern university and had a pretty good year, but he lost the football game again to the in-state rival. And people were upset and they were uh, complaining about him and saying it was time for him to go and so forth. And he received one note from an alum that said the train leaves town at 11.30 tonight. Be under it. Well, <laughs> that's just the way that... Uh, and that's what Jeremiah's going through. He says that they, they laugh at me. Everyone mocks me. And then his preaching was rejected. Not only was he rejected personally, but his preaching. In verse number 8, he says, For each time I speak, I cry aloud. You see, that's what they were saying. He is, he's too loud. He's too exuberant in his preaching. There's no dignity with this man. Matthew Henry wrote, It is common for those that are unaffected with and disaffected to the things of God themselves to ridicule those that are much affected with them. Lively preachers are the scorn of careless, unbelieving hearers. And then look at verse 10. For I've heard the whispering of many, terror on every side. See, what had happened? Jeremiah referred to Pasher as terror on every side. That's what he named him. Terror on every side. He said, you're terrorizing the people on every side. So now then, when Jeremiah goes by with the message that he has been preaching, people whisper, there goes old terror on every side. And so he had become a laughingstock. His message was not an acceptable. He was not the Joel Osteen of his day. He was not preaching something good is going to happen to you. He was preaching a message of judgment. And Matthew Henry said he was not only ridiculed as a weak man, but reproached and misrepresented as a bad man and dangerous to the government. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute. Does that not sound like today? Folks, if you stand on the Word of God, if you believe the Bible is the Word of God and you take it seriously, then people are going to say of you, that's a dangerous person. They're out of the mainstream. We need to get them on Valium or something. Something's wrong with those people. That's exactly what they were doing to Jeremiah. They rejected him as a dangerous person to the government. Jesus experienced the same kinds of things. He was mocked. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 29, And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You see, what they did with Jesus is they said, So you are the king? Well, we're going to make you look like a king. And they took a crown of thorns and placed it on his head as they mocked him. They mocked Jesus just as they had mocked Jeremiah. And then they brought forth false witnesses to testify against him. I guess in part the point that I am trying to make to you is that a commitment to Christ can be difficult. And there is conflict with some of you because you have some doubts about God, the way that God is is ordering things, so the way that your life is turning out. To you, it does not seem that God cares adequately about what you're going through. And then people to whom you try to minister reject you. They, they mock you and ridicule you and set you aside. The point is, is that there is a conflict of commitment. And because there is a conflict, sometimes we want to quit. God, I'm not sure about this. 
and I'm not sure about the people. And you want to quit. Well, we see Jeremiah's reaction in verse number 9. But, I, but if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, Jeremiah is thinking this thing through. And he says, I, I'm going I'm to remove God from my mind. I'm not going to remember him anymore. I'm going to put him aside. I'm not, I'm not going to remember him. And he said, I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. After all, nobody wants to hear the message anyway. So I'm not going to remember him. I'm going to put him aside. I'm not going to speak about him. No one wants to hear the message. He was bitter in verse number 14. Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. He was bitter about the way he had been treated. He had been beaten and imprisoned. If you look back in verse number 2, Pasher had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in the stocks that were at the upper Benjamin gate, which, by the, which was by the house of the Lord. So here's a man who is trying to serve the Lord. He is beaten. He is put in, put in prison. And he is rejected. So he's bitter about it. The way he's been treated, he's bitter. He's also angry. In verse number 15, Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A baby boy has been born to you and made him very happy. Let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting, and let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon. He, he, was, he was angry. He said, Cursed be the man who brought forth the news that a baby boy had been born, making my father glad. Job said something very similar. When he was going through that time of suffering in his life, Job 3, 3, Let the day perish on which I was to be born, and the night which said a boy is conceived. And perhaps that describes your anger. Maybe you're angry today, the way things have turned out for you. This doesn't seem right to me, and so you're angry as a result of it. You're rejected. God doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to be moved about it. Life has not turned out in your favor. You thought it would, but it hasn't, so you're angry about it. And then he despaired in verse number 17, because he did not kill me before birth so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever, ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? Now, Jeremiah's response here is not an example for you. But it does teach us something. As we look at his response here, it does teach us something about life and difficulty. First of all, it teaches us about the vanity of human life. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, if this is all there is, there are some of you who probably would say, because of the difficulty of your life, it would have been better for me had I never been born. The vanity of life. If this is all there is, I wish I had never been born. It teaches us also about the folly of sinful passion. It was foolish for Jeremiah to curse the man who brought the news of his birth. But sinful passions are foolish. Uh, we saw that in Tucson just recently. We don't understand all about it. We don't know what happened. But folks, let me tell you, whenever we are motivated and we are moved by sinful passion, we always act foolishly and sometimes dangerously. It also teaches us about the weakness of man. Even good people sometimes are subject to weak responses. 
And possibly you would say, well, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person, but there are times when I have not responded as the Lord would have me respond. And that's what you see with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a good man. He had been called of God. The Bible tells us about Jeremiah, but Jeremiah's response is not a godly response. Regardless, we are to be committed to God's call. Look at verse 9. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. A difficult assignment is nevertheless an assignment. He was rejected. His message was rejected, but he could not quit. And I've read that chapter so many times because it's been an encouragement to me. Folks, all of us have those times in our life when we are through. We're ready to throw in the towel. And then I go back and read this passage of Scripture, and there Jeremiah said, Though I have been treated as I have been treated, if I were not to remember him anymore, if I were not to speak in his name anymore, nevertheless the fire of God burned in my bones and I could do nothing else. I have to do what God has called me to do. I look at Moses who was rejected. He was criticized constantly. What did he do? The Bible says, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Moses was constantly being criticized and attacked, and yet the Bible says that he still went out and told the people the words of the Lord. The Apostle Paul was criticized for his speech, for his appearance, for everything that he said, and he is still criticized today. But Paul said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You might have a hard assignment, but we are to be faithful. If you are a believer, we are to be faithful. You are to be faithful even during the hard times. See, we've got this notion, and we're told this a lot, that if we're serving the Lord, that everything is going to be downhill and shady. You're going to be blessed. All you have to do is to back up your truck and load it up. Folks, that's simply not true, and nor is it what the Bible teaches us. We have become soft and weak as a result of that theology that is erroneous. There are times when life is hard. But if God has given us an assignment, it does not mean we are to quit. We are to be faithful and committed when life is hard, and we are to be faithful and committed when we are opposed. Look at verse number 10. I've heard the whispering of many tear on every side. Denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him. They had planned to prevail against him. But look at verse 11. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and not prevail because they will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. He says, but because God is with me, it might be tough, it might be hard, I might in the the flesh desire to quit. He says, but I will not because God is with me and they will not prevail. Let me conclude. God's call is difficult. 
And I would believe today that some of you are considering God's call on your life. Perhaps God's call to you is to to, uh, become a missionary or to trust Jesus as your Savior. I am not going to stand up here and tell you that it's the easiest thing in the world. Just walk down the aisle and shake somebody's hand and you're good to go. It's tough. And folks, because it is tough, there are those times when we have conflict. There are those times because we do not understand. We wonder if God is really for us and we have doubts about God. And then those people to whom we seek to serve, they reject us or they don't understand or they criticize. Sometimes they even lie. And so there is the conflict. And yet we are still to be committed. We are still to be committed. Jeremiah was committed. He was God's prophet warning Judah about God's judgment. And he was faithful to that. Moses was committed. Even though it was difficult, Even though the people responded as they did, he nevertheless led Israel out of bondage and he led them to the promised land. He was committed. Jesus was committed. His assignment was difficult. And if you want to know the difficulty that Jesus dealt with, then read about his being in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was struggling with the call, struggling with the cross. And then he came to the place where he says, Not my will, but thine be done. And he went to the cross and died, paying for our sins that we might be forgiven. It was difficult. And ladies and gentlemen, your call is difficult as well, but your commitment is necessary. It is very necessary today that God's people be committed to him. I've read about Winston Churchill and how he encouraged England during World War II. And I read that oftentimes after his speeches, after he had addressed the people and encouraged the people, that he suffered from deep depression. But he nevertheless was still committed and was greatly used to save England. Charles Spurgeon wrote, The cloud is black before it breaks. It overshadows before it yields its deluge of mercy. You might be going through a difficult time today as a believer. And you've been thinking about throwing in the towel, quitting. What I want to say to you today is don't. I'm not saying that it's easy. But I'm saying that the Lord will be with you and he will see you through. And ladies and gentlemen, it is imperative now that the people of God are committed and live for God during a difficult time. Be faithful, even though you go through difficulty. Our Father, we come to you as we go into this invitation time. Lord, I pray that you will speak to the hearts of people, that the Holy Spirit will lead people to Christ. And Father, that we will examine our relationship to you, not looking for to be at ease in Zion, but to be obedient to Almighty God. May we begin, even during this invitation, of responding obediently. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation.
If you are here and you've not committed your life to Jesus, let me encourage you to do so today. If you're looking for a church home, my doors are open to you. If you're going through a time of struggle and you're about ready to quit, recommit today, will you? Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing as they sing, You Come, I'll greet you as you do.